So, what's going on? Where's Ruby? Alas, Ruby is no more. She left behind a few tokens of her affection. Want a souvenir? Nah, I don't think so. So, where's Dummy? He's out of the annex. He says that he's turned over a new leaf. He says that he's a changed man. No kidding. Who's this? Hmm? That's Will. He's, um... Hmm? Well, he's my, um... He's just kind of shy, you know, so I don't... Annex, huh? Yeah. You know, when Ruby was here, she used to wear a see-through blouse, so if you just want to keep up with her. Okay. What's the matter, Grandpa? What's the matter, Grandpa? <laughs> I'll see ya. <laughs> Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb and this is my co-host Mike. We begin a new trilogy this month and when you recommended this first film, my immediate thought was I didn't realize that this Tiffany Haddish property <laughs> was you know, was going to be of any interest to anybody, but sure enough, Nobody's Fool from 1994, not 2018. And I had no idea that this film existed. It doesn't even have a Blu-ray release. It has a bare-bones DVD release with uh, no special features. Well, that's a little bit of a hint. I, I wanted to kick this off because as I was, I watched this one earlier in the year. Um, felt like I was in a like a down state anyway. Um, and you know, I remember this as like a nice winter movie and kind of kind of a drab look at. Uh, I would say lower middle class um you know it looks like a, a town that is is dying um and we're kind of following uh the last remnants of it uh which does become a plot point later as far as this <laughs> horrific amusement park that <laughs> with no logic would be built in this this particular area that paul newman resides in but when i recommended i I had that sort of same mindset as you. It was like, wow, no one talks about this because I guessed it on a podcast earlier this year and I mentioned it that those terrible what you've been watching segments where you just kind of read off like here's what I'm into and it really has nothing to do with like what you clicked on, which we don't do here at all. Or, you know, if we do, we try to sneak it in. And the host had no idea what the hell I was talking about, even though it stars Paul Newman, Jessica Tandy's last performance, last screen role, uh, Bruce Willis, Melanie Griffith. So, a lot of familiar people here, even uh, a young Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, is involved in this. But as we got closer to recording time, I had a sneaking suspicion that my co-host, my dear co-host Webb, would hate this movie. It, I, in the back of my mind this morning, I thought, I bet you he didn't like this. We've not discussed it. We've not talked about it. There's been no hints. 
really until this morning, uh, and of course, as our listeners just heard, you think it's terrible this did not get a proper high-def release. I'm guessing I was wrong in that regard. 110%. I feel like movies like this don't exist anymore. Right. Where there is... There's a there's world building occurring, but it's not based on oh here's something interesting about this location and a myth developed here. It's world building through the characters and building a community within a movie. There is a a, a subgenre of Japanese films called shomen geki films. These are like common people dramas, a uh, realist Japanese films, uh, stuff like An Inn at Osaka which is a film that I absolutely adore, and there is no proper release of it anywhere. I think I saw it on YouTube, and I'm hoping... Every time I see those Criterion releases, I'm like, oh, is it finally here? No, not at all. And, and there's a few people who know what this film is, I, and I love it. And it's it's literally you're learning about a community uh, of, of these individuals who live together or live near each other. Side question here. Do you feel like the Criterion releases have gotten really bad as far as their selection of late? Or like they're not pulling from like these lost films or they're like reintroducing to a new generation. It's, I don't know if that's just a sign of us getting older, but it's like, yeah, like I've had access to that forever because you're picking from like 1998 up. Like what, what is going on here? I mean, you know, everybody's going to make their money, but every, every month when they announce this, it looks fairly generic as far as what they're producing in the world. I think the percentage of those classics is going down just because that's the reality of it. Like how many other Kurosawa films are we going to unearth? You know, I, I, every now and then like the cremator is one that came out semi-recently that I was familiar with. And my brother had mentioned it to me years prior. So it's like every now and then a film come out that'll pique my interest. But yes, I agree with you. I, I feel like we're getting towards not, <laughs> we're not getting towards the bottom of the barrel or anything, <laughs> But it's like, you know, uh, the Martin Van Peebles set, I think, came out. It's like a blaxploitation film set. And I'm like, okay. It's like, this is becoming more niche. Like, there was the, the Bruce Lee set that came out that I purchased and watched. I'm like, boy, this this ain't Enter the Dragon. It's like, this is definitely, <laughs> like, if you're a Bruce Lee fanatic, it's like, okay, you'll appreciate what's happening here. But this is not refined uh, material. So you're saying it's becoming more completionist by nature. Like, we're just going to introduce a, a whole, like, sort of catalog, a whole filmmaker's journey, as opposed to picking the, the very top of what they did to represent them. Right. Yeah, I, I love that the Before trilogy is in the Criterion Collection. That's great. But I, I've had access to it. And, and it's not something that I desperately, you know, needed a Criterion version of. But, hey, it's in there and it's going to sell. You know, Richard Linklater is the reason I thought you would hate this movie, even though he has nothing to do with this. Because I, <laughs> some of our conversations, I tend to feel like, and it's strange to me, given my, you know, uh, I come from a very small town, and you know, my particular interest, uh, you know, is collecting Criterion discs and things of that nature. I was not uh, salt of the earth every man when I was growing up. That was not <laughs> what I was seen as. <laughs> but when I talk with you, I feel like I have to wear the blue collar hat because when we've discussed the Richard Linklater films. Uh, in particular, Boyhood, where you were just appalled at this young man just wandering through his teenage years. And here, <laughs> it's the uh, the other end of the spectrum where you actually have a line where I believe Jessica Tandy says to Paul Newman's character, like, 
do you ever regret that you've basically wasted your God-given life, like your time on earth? Like, do you ever get an inkling that <laughs> this has all been for naught? And I looked at this film as like this strange dynamic. Like this is like if Trilogy and Theory was a boarding house that I was Paul Newman and you were Jessica Tandy trying to care for me as I just drunkenly amble from <laughs> one situation <laughs> to the next, not saying you're not a nice person. Cause you know, Spoiler alert for this film that you probably haven't seen or can't, you know, don't have access to. Even when she, he brings in a dog at the end of the film, and not just any dog, a, a Doberman, pretty intimidating dog that he's had, he's had run-ins with throughout the film. He asks her, and this is after he gets out of jail. Uh, he comes back and is like, "I'm glad you didn't rent out my room." Um, also, what's your policy on dogs? And she's like, "I don't know yet." And he's like, sort of shrugs. And <laughs> I feel like that's you, Webb, where you're like, you know, we try to establish some rules for life, like to achieve success. And then you have the stragglers of the world, charming as they may be, who just can't seem to get it together. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought you might be a little negative towards the Newman character in that regard. No, you know, one of the things that I always kind of carry with me, even when I was younger, it was like, I, I and maybe it's because I watched Fight Club at an early age, where it's like not not everyone's gonna grow up to be rock stars, and not everyone's <laughs> gonna go to the moon. It's like it's the relationships and and the connections that we create and cultivate over the course of our lives that give what we do meaning. And and I don't believe that if if you are not the next Steve Jobs, if you're not the next. Uh, you know, Elon Musk or whatever. If you don't leave a mark, then then your life is meaningless. It, that's all horseshit to me. It, it really is. It, it goes much deeper than that. What what living is, and that's when I watch a film like this, where the central plot isn't some machination of of, of a mustache twirling villain, or there's not like a murder at the center of it. That's not what life is about. And if a film like Nobody's Fool. It really gets at the at the heart of what I really believe being being alive and, and those connections that we create. That's what this is about, man. And that's why watching this movie really meant a lot to me. It's like you just these films don't come out anymore. Every like everything has to have a sequel. Everything has to have a hook. You can't just have a nice film about people who may not all be nice, but are all worth knowing about. Okay, that's I, I like um, you're touching on there that not all these people are nice. In fact, I would say most of these people are very antagonistic to one another. Yeah, in a warm-ish way, um, and I don't, I can't tell if it's because of this this small town in I think it's upstate New York. Is it just the fact that there's a mutual respect that's gained because you've been around a while? Like, I don't really like you, but I know you. Seems to be the general premise of the dynamic of all these relationships including you know the main i guess <laughs> antagonist is uh bruce willis is this younger man that paul newman uh is owed money from um he has to rely on him for work and odd jobs bruce willis would be the one who has uh, had some financial success in this town but i also he doesn't present himself as rich either he seems just like joe down the block um he drinks too much he you know crowds with women uh, he's not someone that you would envy, but yet he doesn't have this, I'm out for blood to ruin this guy, even though Paul Newman drugs his dog, steals his equipment, like multiple times. It's this weird thing where it's like you were doing something that is, you know, not only criminal, but you're, you're taking from me and you like 
do nothing but talk shit about me and my reputation around town. But it passes the time. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. it's this battle that passes the time. And it's not played as a broad comedy during those instances. It's just something that happens and something that this guy is going to do. Because I, I just recently rewatched for another podcast, uh, Grumpier Old Men, which I know you, I think you sort of roll your eyes because I got so excited one day because the double feature was like less than like <laughs> nine bucks on iTunes. <laughs> and I would say that is the more populous bent of something like Nobody's Fooled, a cantankerous old man. But that leans very much into pranks, comedy montages of like, you know, sort of sitcomish, buffoonish behavior between these these old guys. Whereas Paul Newman, and you know, it is unfair because I talked about how he's basically presented as a failure in life, a noble failure, but you know, someone who's just never been able to get together. I'm looking at the post right now. He's still fucking Paul Newman. Like, yeah, you you may be like a the town scallywag, but maybe to have that charm and likability, you need to be have those piercing blue eyes and be incredibly handsome like Paul Newman. Uh, I looked at a review from uh, Gene Siskel who uh, said, We love to see our movie gods play flawed souls, especially a god with a face that looks like one on a Roman coin. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is what we like because we want to see ourselves on screen, but not actually ourselves. We want to see ourselves through the eyes of Paul Newman. And I don't, I'm not, you know what? I'm not going to say that's dirty pool because something like uh, Mad Men was also very successful with a drunk guy who never really could get together, even though he had more financial means than Paul Newman's character. If he didn't look like John Hamm, people might not find Don Draper as cool to just be someone who just runs through marriages and wakes up like in his own vomit. But because it's John Hamm, there's still a little bit where you're like, I'd kind of like to be him, even though his life looks incredibly depressing at various points in that, that film. But I wouldn't say nobody, Nobody's Fool is not – I don't think that's it's depressing at all, though. No. No, not at all. And I, 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 I'm frustrated with myself because Paul Newman is not a name that gets me all that excited for a film. And I've seen – a I, I haven't seen many of his – The Hustler, which is a great movie, Road to Perdition. It's a fucking awesome movie. Slapshot, which – yeah, take it or leave it. I think it's one of those, like, uh, you either like it or you don't. And then now nobody's fool. And I need to really dig into it. Like, I haven't even seen Cool Hand Luke. It's just another one of those oh, God. films that, like, oh. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, in, it's in that blind spot for me. And it's I do, on my, I do need to go my back. letterbox four that I have up there, The like the four favorites. It's one of my really? defining movies. Yeah. Now, I don't have a good wow. batting average with you on that because you detest Fright Night, which is my, you know, if anyone <laughs> wants to go to my... It's at Projecting Film on Letterboxd. Uh, my four are not you know, necessarily my four favorite movies, because I didn't really know how to put that up there. But they ask you, put your four. And some people on Letterboxd, they rotate them, like the four best they've seen like in the last month, you know, whatever. Uh, but for me, it was the four most influential movies as far as remembers my family. Like, And for Cool Hand Luke, that was something my dad set me down to watch one day. And Fright Night is something my... My mom said, you know, I think you're of age, like, for Halloween season, you can watch your first scary movie. And Fright Night was the first scary movie I watched with my mom on VHS tape. So Cool Hand Luke is the same same thing. My dad said, if you want to see, you know, I mean, he was using the word from the title. If you want to see a cool character, this is the coolest character that's ever appeared on screen. Cool Hand Luke. And so that's, yeah, to, to me, like, to not see Cool Hand Luke, it's like... Webb is like ripping a memory out of my like childhood. It's like, it's very oh. Dr. Sleep right now. It's like, he's taking that. <laughs> essence. Like, so yes, you probably will not enjoy it as much as I did because of that childhood connection to it. But yeah, like Paul Newman to me is, you know, 
is always going to be like the coolest because of that. Well, if if I were to right now do a quick like Mount Rushmore of those four movies, like off the top of my head, Jurassic Park, first movie I watched in America, uh, The Ten Commandments, because I have very fond memories of watching a Charlton Heston movie with my grandfather who passed away several years ago. And he kind of said, he's one of those people who set me on the path of like, these are classic movies as good as it gets, because it was the first movie that I remember watching that was kind of like an adult drama that I'm like, wow, this is great. And this is really compelling so much. So to the point I was watching it with my father and my father said, are you, you're enjoying this? I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, wow, this is kind of a grown up movie. And I was like, huh. And I had that moment of realization. It's like, wow, I like grown up things. And the last one is Shole, which is a, a Bollywood film. It's kind of considered uh, the quite possibly the best and most popular Bollywood film of all time. I, I'm not, I can't get into it, what it means, but uh, it, it just know, dear listener, that uh, if you're going to get into Bollywood films, start with the film Shole because it kind of represents the peak of mainstream Bollywood film. So yeah, th- there you go, just off the top of my head. And yes, Cool Hand Luke is one that I think I will absolutely uh, like rush up on my uh, queue because I, I'm just in that Paul Newman mode right now because there's one more one more that i adore that i just came to a few years ago so i came to it late uh it's uh, 1982 it's a david mamet screenplay uh the verdict uh and it's a courtroom thriller where he plays a you know uh an alcoholic attorney that's you know a little past his prime and it's uh, i think now that one not uh not we're talking about today nobody's full the verdict i would say is very much in Webb's wheelhouse that is one that i think you would you would adore um i could be wrong on that but you know we've done a pretty good job because i'm looking at his imdb page and you mentioned the hustler i know you love road to perdition cool hand luke and the verdict those are the four that imdb says this is uh paul newman i guess personified on screen those are the four they pick oh Sidney lamette well there you go i don't need much convincing there excellent uh and and one of the things that he does so well is creates connections and creates relationships in just a few scenes with these other actors and these other characters. So when he has his run-ins with Philip Seymour Hoffman, as soon as I saw his name in the credits, I was like, we're going to see a young Hoffman. He's not (laughs) going to be in the film very long, but he's going to leave an impact. And sure enough, that's what he did. So you know, like as soon as you have that interaction with these two characters and these two wonderful actors, like, oh, they have a history and it's great and, and you don't need too many scenes to establish it. And then... I think we, we I think it's about we we've messed around long enough. We need to talk about his relationship with Toby and, and Melanie Griffith. So much. And and I've mentioned this before because Out of Sight is another one of those films when we talk about ooh, a sexy thriller or a sexy movie. That the sensuality that is is on display in a film like Out of Sight is unlike some of the stuff from uh, the Boy Next Door, that the, the Jennifer Lopez film, <laughs> was, was touted as a neurotic thriller, and I was like, "This is a horrible." It was one of the worst, you know. Uh, I'm just I've impressed seen. that you're probably still one of the few people, including Miss Lopez, that can pull that title out and be like, "Oh, you remember that?" <laughs> <laughs> No one does. I do because I, I remember purchasing an iTunes code for like a dollar because I was like, I'm in the mood for an erotic thriller with Jennifer Lopez. Sure, why not? Because she was making her comeback with uh, 
oh, that recent film, uh, Second Chance or Second Act or something. And I was like, you know what? Like, I do like Jennifer Lopez uh, uh, in, in, in doses. And so while that one wasn't uh, worthy of the term comeback, but I was like, I started looking back at her filmography and I went to that. And I was like, She's boy, erotic thriller. Right, Hustlers. I would say Hustlers was the Hustlers, proper yeah. screen comeback. Yes. Yeah. And and then Second Act came after it. And boy, some of the twists and turns of that movie, I was like, unearned. Anyhow, with with this, it, it reminded me of how physical sexuality on film generally leaves me fairly cold and, and kind of uninterested. But when there's a genuine romance between two characters and... and I love how in Nobody's Fool, the back and forth that they have, it's more than just, oh, hey, this is my work wife, and we're going to kind of play this game, but there's nothing really behind it. But there's so much more to this in all of those scenes where they go back and forth. And it kept making me lean a little bit closer to the screen every time they had one of these back and forths. I was like, wow, there's something behind this. This isn't just the two of them playing a game. There's something deeper. And this absolutely is one of those relationships in film that I'll always go back to. I'm like, wow, there's something genuine and organic behind these two. Even so much so to the point where the playfulness of where he talked, where he mentioned uh, jokingly, like, oh, the previous person who worked here, she would wear this see-through bra. Totally caught me off guard where she lifts her top. I was like, <gasps> I was as shocked and as like, not aroused, I don't think, I, but just as perked up. Well, that's also a poor choice of words, but I was right there with him. Meanwhile, I was just a decent man, and I was just thanking uh, Miss Griffith for her service. Uh, I was like, they don't make movies like this anymore, just <laughs> casual nudity. <laughs> no, not at all. To the point where I saw that this film was rated R, and I'm like, why is this film rated R? It's so frustrating, because I, I, like, Live Free or Die Hard has a scene where a man gets, like, sucked into a fan and chopped up into bits. And, like, that's a PG-13 film, while this one is restricted. It's it's just, it's very frustrating where the MPA, uh, ha- you know, w- where it draws its lines. Yeah, because what uh, Melody does in that scene will make you believe in your fellow man. It'll make you believe in <laughs> being alive and <laughs> sticking around to maybe seeing something like that at, uh, you know, well, I guess not at work, but, you know, at least on screen. Um, what, what did you make of the dynamic, this love triangle of sorts? Because as, as we established, like Bruce Willis is playing his sort of town nemesis, um, maybe someone that's just as much of a jerk as the Paul Newman character of Sully, but he just has the means, uh, to where he will not be perceived as like a loser because he's, he's done everything the right way maybe in his professional life, but in his personal life, he has as many balls that he's dropping as far as he's, he's letting his marriage go. He's cheating. Like Paul Newman's character is an absentee father, you know? So it's not like, Oh, he's just like never had the opportunity to be this. He has had opportunities and we're just coming to his, his character later in life. But it's weird because the character of Toby, which is uh, the, the wife of Bruce Willis's character, like, what is the appeal you think of the, the old man who maybe isn't that dissimilar to the Bruce Willis character? Is it the fact that he's trying, like, does she see him trying to like make amends or is it just that he's 
even if he is a jerk, he's just far more charming than Bruce Willis will ever aspire to be. Like Bruce Willis doesn't aspire to be liked. And I don't know which characters more honest about themselves. I think it's a toss up for me as far as I guess, which person I'd want to prefer the one who's openly a jerk and knows it, or the one that tries, but fails more often than not. I think the relationship predates him trying to rectify some of those relationships that uh, he has destroyed for the lack of a better word. So I think the word is integrity. I don't know if it's just charm because you're like, yeah, he's done some uh, pretty despicable things in terms of like running out on his family and all that as well. But there is a weird sense of integrity, the way he is living with the Jessica Tandy character and the the fact that he is a little broken. Like there is something appealing about wanting to be with somebody who is who needs you, I think. But they are very damaged characters, the both of them, in, in similar ways. But when you dig a little deeper, yeah, I, a weird integrity. I think it's a um, it's an effort level. I think there's like a uh, sort of you know, and Bruce Willis is great casting for this because he he is maybe his, he's on the Mount Rushmore of like self satisfied smirking. He's got a great movie star smirk. I mean, that's yeah. John McClane. John McClane gets beaten down and is always smirking his ass off, no matter what terrorist or alleged terrorist but just common thief is like pointing a gun in his direction and I think that uh, I like your word of uh, broken I think maybe Bruce Willis' character just hasn't lost enough yet to recognize like that he has to make an effort like there's like this sort of I know it's not quite Midwest, but there's this like Midwestern kind of vibe to it where it's like, well, you have to be tough because the world's tough. And like, you know, don't ask too much for me because I've got my own problems. Even from a father and a husband, they're like, you know, the score, like, you know, my life's difficult. You take care of it yourself. And it's like, but you're the one inflicting this, (laughs) this damage on people. And I think it's just an age disparity thing. Like maybe I'm being naive, but I feel like, you know, you do this film later on, the character of Carl becomes Sully where he's the guy that lost what was a great marriage and lost the love of someone great like the Toby character um, and maybe, you know, lost the connection to his children if he, you know, has any. Um, but he just stuck around. And if you stick around and you try to stick it out, it feels like very small towns. The townspeople will, like, give you enough leeway to, like, even in your senior years, to get your act together that you can you can change. The film ends. There's this beautiful scene. Um, you know, I mentioned the dog earlier, but also with Jessica Tandy uh, offering him tea. And he's like, I don't know how many times I have to tell you, like, I'm not doing that. And she's like, well, you know, people can always change their minds. And, like, even you. And that, that's like, you know, there's it's like, I'm still going to keep asking because I still have faith in you in some regard. Even if it's something as small as that, just like a preference um, and he falls asleep in the, the chair, like with his, you know, his boots on, just like he's, he's home again, even though the physical home, he he can't go back to like, it's this broken thing. Like he is, it's just, it's a nice small town movie, but it's not quaint. You know, it's not like there's Christmas trees up and everybody like, you know, it's not a bunch of Ned Flanders, like, <laughs> like <laughs> cheery and just sort of sycophants. It's not that there's like there's an honesty to this movie. And when you said, yeah, they don't make them like this anymore. I'm thinking, hell, I don't even know how how would I describe the plot of this to people? It's 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 really difficult to talk about as far as like, well, from A to B to C, because I think it's just a vibe. It's like you just need to like 
tonally just be like in that world with these characters to, to feel it. But um, yeah, this is one that Criterion should have picked up and dusted off and present to the world. This is like what I kind of expect of them, not, uh, I don't know. I, we'll probably get the Tiffany Haddish 2018 film before we get this <laughs> in Criterion. <laughs> Yeah, not much happens in the film in terms of like, oh, this character, like he doesn't go off to Hawaii. As much as we may want him to be in Hawaii with Toby, that was never going to happen, even though, boy, the film really dangles it right there in front of you just, just for a moment. I mean, and after she flashed him, I don't know how. I don't know how you say no. I don't know to the... Uh, right? But he's he started something with his son, his grown adult that son. integrity. And... And the the grandson, and uh, there's even a sequence in the bar where you know the, his his son is having problems in his marriage as well, uh, and it's like resettling in this town. And um, he looks at the bar and looks at his father with a beard in his hand and says, "This is the life." Newman's <laughs> character is like, "Is it?" <laughs> like, it's like this very fatherly, like, "Should I be proud or should I be horrified that you've settled in <laughs> to, to, to this world?" Uh, I dug it, Webb. I really dug it. I was I was happy to. Uh, I don't know how I rediscovered it. I think it was on one of my streaming services, and I remember watching this as a kid on VHS and liking it, liking it, but not getting it. You can't. This is not like a young man's movie, but I remember my parents, in particular, my uh, granny, really liking it. And I think there you have to have a little, I guess, world wariness to really enjoy the humor of this one. This sort of, the sort of bitter humor that this has at times. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's. A film that's like lived in. That's what that's what it is. It. Do you have the uh, poster in front of you? I do. <laughs> I mean, it's just this the stereotypical like movie star poster. Like all we can sell is it's Newman, and it's like his name uh, equal to the title, but the tagline is just worn to perfection. And it's like, yeah, I just yeah. noticed it. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That is that is the exact way to sell this film. And even though I, I don't think you're going to sell it to many people, but worn to perfection. Perfect. <laughs>